into that. But this morning, uh, I'd like to uh, uh, say we've had three great weeks of ministry with uh, those who have uh, shared. And, uh, you know, as a way, we, well, recovering from eye surgery, then we were away. And then last week we were, well, I don't know if we were here. We were somewhere. Uh, but we certainly appreciate the ministry of those who shared. We're blessed here. And uh, today I want to talk again about something I started several weeks ago, and I'm going to try to expedite things a little bit here. I want to talk about spiritual disciplines. And um, 1 Corinthians 9, verse 24 is where we begin. Uh, Do you not know uh, that those who run in a race all run, but one receives the prize? Run in such a way that you may obtain it. And everyone who competes for the prize is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a perishable crown, but we for an imperishable crown. Therefore I run thus, not with uncertainty. Uh, Thus I fight, not as one who beats the air, but I discipline my body and bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others I myself uh, should become disqualified." Father in heaven, we thank you for your word. It is life. It is powerful. Lord God, it is transformative. And we, Lord, just invite your holy, sacred, inspired, infallible, inerrant word, Lord, to do a great work in these hearts and in these minds, that these vessels of clay would honor you in this day, we pray. Amen. Well, we talked a little bit about this, uh, you know, uh, Paul's making an analogy between uh, the games that were played uh, among those who lived in the, uh, in the isthmus uh, that connected uh, northern, Greek and southern, uh, northern Greece and southern Greece. And, you know, Corinth was uh, a significant place because it was located on this isthmus and it connected both the north and the south. Uh, part of Greece, and these games that he uses as an analogy were uh, those they involved racing and boxing and wrestling, kind of like an Olympic type sport event. Uh, you know there were various contests and and uh, you know things that, that people had trained for for some time. And uh, the Corinthians were very familiar with these things. They they knew uh, the the analogies. They knew the uh, they knew how to process the analogies because Paul spoke to them in a language they could relate to. And a great part of the gospel is speaking to people in a contextual way that they can apply it, that they can draw a clear understanding, uh, a clearer understanding because of the things that we utilize in life. So when we share Jesus with people, we, we really need to present him in the context of people's lives. When we speak the word, we speak the word in a way that people can relate to. doesn't mean we alter the word. doesn't mean that we change the identity of Christ in any way. It just simply means we do what Paul did. You know, he used these games that they were familiar with, and he built upon that analogy the spiritual inferences that he was seeking to leave upon them. And so as he speaks, he makes the comparison between the physical and the spiritual the natural and the eternal. And uh, so, you know, it's important for us that people be able uh, to see the, the bridge between life and, 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 and eternity and the spiritual element. You know, so as we think about this, 
In life, we want people to serve us who are well-trained to do so. We want people uh, to serve us uh, with excellence. And we desire to serve others with excellence. If we are going to serve people with excellence, it requires training. It requires discipline. You know, all of these things are part of offering the type of service that's beneficial to others. You know, none of us want someone to operate on us who is a novice. How many would rather not be the first one on board? You know, whenever you get on board and you've got a pilot who says, this is the first time I've done this. It's not something, I mean, I'm not lining up for that. I don't, you can have my place if you like. And... Uh, if you have someone that you really are trying to get rid of, you can invite them to have your seat. When we think about this, uh, people want others who are trained to do what it is that uh, they are providing service for. If you're having a knee replacement, you want someone who is a great orthopedic surgeon or has experience and has a track record uh, of excellence. You know, uh, when we think about these things, they're, they're very important. Life requires training both in the practical and the spiritual. You know, if we're going to serve people in the practical, there has to be this training and this preparation to do so. If we're going to serve the Lord with excellence, it requires that we be trained as well. You know, sometimes we get saved and we're left with the idea that you get saved and somehow you'll just get from here to there with no effort at all on our part. And that's not true. You know, in order to grow, to become more effective and efficient in serving God and in the manner that he desires for us to serve him, there has to be training. There has to be preparation and experience, you know. And so when Paul makes this analogy, I just uh, will make three little observations about uh, the text of Scripture, 1 Corinthians nine twenty four through 27. You know, sometimes in life... We're just happy to receive a participation certificate. Anybody ever been there? You're just amazed. I remember, and I'm not making any inferences as to her ability or skill. I wouldn't do that uh, because I'm sure she's going to be watching this at some point. Uh, but Robin has, uh, she ran, uh, or, or she said uh, she ran a, what is it, a 5K? Or they did with some of those who were here. And you know, I, I think she, I was happy. I was proud of her. I thought that was a tremendous thing. I told her to go run another one for me and uh, because I'm not. Uh, but, you know, I, I think about that, and she was happy to be part of it. You know, she was happy to get a participation, to, ha- to participate in the event. But then there's those others that are like Lori Couch, bloodthirsty, you know, knock the person down in front of you and run over top of them to get to the, to the finish. And, uh, you know, there are those who are, are trained. They, they run. They run all the time. It's something they do because they not only enjoy it and are not only happy to participate, but they want to do well. And, they, and, and, they, and there are actually those who want to win. You know, I don't know about that particular type thing, but I'm, in life, when you think about those who run marathons, there are some who are happy to participate, and that's a wonderful thing. And then you get these other people who they train for months to win. They are focused on winning. They're not just going to participate. And Paul says there's a lot of people who run the race, but only one wins. 
And he says, so run as though you intend to win. You know, and that, you know, we're to run with excellence this thing called the, the, the life of faith. You know, how many believe that God wants us to lead a life of excellence, divine excellence, not mediocrity? How many say, well, God's not interested in excellence? Well, then by saying that, we, we tend to believe that God's okay with mediocrity. You know, mediocrity is really just going halfway. I mean, if you, your goal is to get to the top of the mountain, half won't do, Right? If you're, you're one of these, uh, you know, crazy people that climb, you know, 20,000 foot mountains and you want to get to the top of it, you are prepared to go the distance. You want to reach the peak of that. You're not satisfied in just going part way up. And so when we talk about this walk of faith, we're not, we're not interested in going halfway with God. We're not interested in being lukewarm or tepid in the things that, in our faith and in our practice. We want to be on fire. We want to run with excellence. We want to run as those who intend to win this thing. And, uh, you know, sometimes we, people don't win because they're not disciplined. You know, there's just a lack of discipline. Some people think that they can get through life because they're gifted or they have natural abilities that are just make things easy for them. But there are a lot of people who believe that kind of thing who have been, who have been painfully shown that that's not going to get them through all the time. So when we think about this, and I referenced Einstein said, weak people focus on revenge, strong people uh, forgive, intelligent people ignore. You know, when you think about that, the distractions that can, that can get in the way and, and disturb our focus. There are some people who aren't running strong for God because they're so distracted by crazy stuff. They get, they get so obsessed with offenses and things that have happened in life, the hardships that have, have been part of the narrative. You know, um, you know, when you think about that, I, you know, today when you get to the end of your life, you know, you want to know that you ran well, right? You want to know, like Paul, you fought a good fight. You want to know that you finished the race. You don't want to be one of these ones that started out and become so distracted by the things that have happened in your life or the things that people have said about you or done. You know, not everything that people say and do requires a response. You know, because sometimes by not responding, you keep yourself out of trouble. Because usually when we respond out of, a, out of a anger or impulse, what we say in response or do in response to someone else is meant to inflict greater heart, pain on them than they inflicted on us. And what happens in that? We end up not only hurting someone else, but we end up inflicting uh, unnecessary grief upon ourselves. And we get distracted and we stop running the race because we're too busy fighting. I remember there was a man years ago, he was in conflict with someone in the church and he said, I, I'm going to have the last word. He told me that. He said, I'm not done yet. I will have the last word in this. And I said to him, so you'll have the last word. You gain the last word, but what are you going to give up to get that? What are you willing to sell to have that last word? You know, when you think about it, personal discipline, uh, those who are disciplined streamline their activities and their focus. 
Only things that make them stronger or better are part of their lifestyles and their training regimen. And they, and they, uh, um, they adopt a mindset and a practice of balance and moderation. Paul said in verse 25, everyone who, you know, this is my paraphrase, everyone who is serious about winning practices moderation. They, they, they do so to win a prize that will be displaced by next year's champion, but we do so for an eternal prize. I remember as a kid, I loved watching boxing. You know, they used to be on TV, didn't have to pay like $900 to watch, which I don't, but I, I don't, I, I, you know, I used to be like Muhammad Ali, Ernie Frazier, Ernie Frazier, Ernie Shavers, Ernie, Ernie Frazier was Joe's cousin, uh, Joe Frazier. All of these people, I loved watching these people box, you know? But it, it's interesting, you know, Muhammad Ali had his day. There was a day when he did float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. And I mean, he was the champion of the world, notable. But you know, at the end of his career, I remember watching him fight a man named Trevor Burbick. And Trevor Burbick beat him up. Muhammad Ali was an old man in the ring, and he, was, he, he just didn't, he stayed too long. And he was just beat up and humiliated in, that, in the end. So what am I saying? Well, you look, there were others. Mike Tyson, indestructible. I mean, people were afraid of him. People passed out in fear in the ring. I don't know about that, but it looked like it. I mean, he would just go down. But, you know, he had this day when he was, he was untouchable. And then Mike Tyson one day came up, and the beginning of the end for him was a man named Buster Douglas. And Buster Douglas was a nobody. And Buster Douglas knocked Mike Tyson out. And after that, Mike Tyson was never the same again. Everybody knew that he could be beaten. And he, that wasn't the only blemish on his record. So what am I saying is that people focus on things that will be forgotten tomorrow because someone else will be elevated to that place. And people will be focused on who's, the, who's new. And so we compete for things that fade and they go away, and the remembrance dissipates. And then you get people who, as believers, need to understand that we're not doing this for something that's only going to last for a while. We're living for eternity. Come on now. How many understand? You, need to have, you and I need to have an eternal perspective each and every day. In life, we've got to have an eternal perspective. You know... Um, I say today, as you sit here with me, that if we don't have an eternal perspective, then what we focus on really is just about uh, the things that fit in a box. Our lives are compartmentalized. We live in this little box, but that's not really what it's about. You're a spirit. How many know that you are a spirit? And you have a physical body. How many understand that flesh bone, blood, you have circulatory systems, you have nervous systems, you got all kinds of systems uh, in your body by God's design that work, but one day those things cease. Then what? And there's a lot of people in this world that they're not sure what to think about death because they've never been introduced to anything that would suggest to them that they have any reason to hope for anything beyond this life. That's where you and I come in. 
We have to be sharing with people by the way we live and in conversation when the Lord gives us an opportunity why they have a reason to hope beyond today or tomorrow or next week. Because we know we win. You know, Christians should live like we're winners, right? How many think, oh, well, that's egotistical. It would be if I thought that way because of myself. But I do that because Jesus is my victory. He's my champion. He's undefeated and I'm with him. Come on, church, are you with him? I'm with Jesus today. I can't lose because he never loses. You know, the worst thing that can happen to you is you die. You know that. That's the worst thing. And what, how is that bad whenever you believe what Jesus said again? I am the resurrection and the life. He that believes on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And he that lives and believes in me shall what? Never die. Never die. That's great because you're a spirit. You're a spirit being. And God will give you a resurrection body in his time. You know, wrestlers sometimes lose so much weight that they actually become weaker. You know, they try to make weight and they, they work and work and work and they're frantic about losing it. And, and their focus is, you know, it, there's just an imbalance there. And then you get people that, if you watch some of these boxers, they get so big and so heavy that they lose their ability to go the distance. And because of these imbalances in life, they actually work against them. And you know, when you're imbalanced in the way we live, and when we're imbalanced in our walk with God, it begins to affect our ability to, to be enduring, to be able to navigate life and situations and circumstances. You know, if we don't run with, with, if we run without focus, then we're just running and that's okay. But if you're running to win a prize or to compete, then you have to have a focus. How many know that, uh, you know, people who train boxers aren't just simply training to be elite shadow boxers? You know, Paul says, I don't, I don't fight, I don't fight, I don't box just as one beating the air. His goal was not, he said, your goal's not to be an elite, uh, an elite shadow boxer. So we talk about some of the things that we do, and I'll, I'll try to move on here. Prayer. You know, we started to talk about this the last time. Uh, e. Stanley Jones says, prayer is aligning ourselves with the purposes of God. How many believe it's better to do things God's way? And how many know we discern the will of God through the word that he has given us, through the voice of the Holy Spirit, through prayer, and seeking the heart and face of God? Corey Ten Boom, we shared this before, and I love it. She said, is your prayer, is prayer your steering wheel or your spare tire? Think about that. That's a good one, right? The, you know, whenever we get a flat, we pray. Or, or is prayer our steering wheel? Are we determining the route we take in life and where we go and what the destination is to be? And the most efficient, effective path as God sets before us to get there, is prayer your steering wheel? Or is it simply the spare tire? You know, when you think about this, too many Christians come to church on Sunday morning and they simply want God to turn them on. God, I'm coming to church today and I want you to turn me on. And they want and they have that expectation that something's going to happen in that service that's going to flip the switch for them and make everything different or better. 
or more inspiring, make their experience uh, more goose pimply. But you understand this, prayer's the foundation to worship. How many have, and I'm just, just a question, how many have sought the Lord and said, God, I'm coming into your house today, and I'm not just doing it because I've done it every other week before this one. I'm coming into the house of God today because I, I, I'm believing that, I, that something dynamic is going to happen in my heart and in my life that will be eternally consequential. How many have prayed over this service today? How many have waited in the presence of God and said, hey, and I'm, not, I'm just saying if you haven't, do, do, do so next week. Pray over these services. God, I bow my heart before you. I yield my heart to you today. I desire that whatever you wish will be advanced this morning in my life and in this church corporately. You know, no one should ever complain about church if you haven't prayed over it. That's like me complaining about what a restaurant offers, and I've never been there. But I, somebody else told me it wasn't that good. Oh, I'm sorry. I was getting caught up in there. My, <laughs> that's all right. That happens to all of us. But thank God it was you this week, not me. Just kidding. <laughs> I think about the fact that you know, in my life, is it simply me wanting God to turn me on? Wanting God to just uh, give me that, you know, God speak to me out of the clouds, be, come to me in the burning bush. God says, I, I want to walk with you every day. I want you to listen to my whisper. How many know the whisper of God is stronger than anything else this world could ever come against you with? It says, listen, I, when I whisper, hear me. You know, this morning as you've come in, no discipline in our lives spiritually will be pursued seriously if there isn't the discipline of prayer to serve as its foundation. Think about that. You know, there, there won't be any other discipline in your life, in my life as believers, with regard to our walk with God, if there's not a, the discipline of prayer as the foundation. How many believe that prayer is the foundation for everything that God releases into your life? As a believer, we believe that, we, that prayer is, a, is, is effectual and it's, a, it, it's effective and it's necessary. Think about it. There's no revival without prayer. You know, because what it is without prayer, what it ends up being is it comes down to what we can do without God. We can put on a good show. We can stir up the goosebumps, and, and we can make the atmosphere as, glory, as, as full of glory as vanity will allow it to be. And I want to tell you, without, without prayer, there really isn't any revival. It doesn't mean that God can't work in spite of our prayerlessness, but you remember Jesus, he went to the, uh, to the area and they, he, he could only perform and release a few miracles because of the lack of faith. Prayer energizes faith and faith energizes prayer. They are mutually effectual toward one another. No, you know, think about this, no vision without prayer. 
People say, well, what's your vision? Well, you know, the only way you know what the vision is is to have a prayer life that is listening as much as telling God. Because sometimes prayer, our idea of prayer is us just telling God what he needs to get on it with. I got this, I got that, we got there, we need this, we need that, we need the other. And God says, hey, can I get a word in? Prayer is as much listening to God as it is petitioning him. And I'm not minimizing the petitioning part. We should bring our needs before the Lord. But, you know, we we have to understand that prayer will take... Revelation comes through waiting in the presence of God. God's word is revelation. But God, he, he peels away the layers so that we can see deeper into the things that he's given us when we listen. You ever notice that you get in a conversation with somebody and they're, and they're more list, they're more, uh, and, and this can happen, but they're more dialed into talking at you than listening to you. You can't get a word in edgewise. You know, sometimes I've been that person that can't shut my mouth and need to open my ears. But prayer has to be that we have as much our ears open to hear God as it is to tell God what we believe God needs to know as though he doesn't already know it. I want to encourage you to jealously protect your times of intimacy with God. You know, I remember when Robin and I were dating and her sister came to to Bible school with us. And I, I, you know, if you happen to watch, this is meant as a, a, it's not meant the way it might sound. But, you know, I said, Robin, I love seeing your sister, but how about you and me? You know, how many know what I'm saying? Okay, somebody know what I'm saying, please. Because <laughs> so whenever they watch this and they wonder what it is that I was actually saying, I'll say, well, they understood it. I don't know why you didn't. You think about it here with me this morning. I enjoyed that time with her. You know, and sometimes we got to have a crowd around us. We have to have people all the time. And God says, hey, how about just you and me today? You know, when my kids left the house, I thought, well, we, we bawled, you know. We did. We bawled, you know. We bawled, God, why did it take so long? No, we, we really just bawled and said, God... I wept, I cried, I did. I said, I don't want him to go. I could just sell out on us like this and get married and go to school and get married, you stinking losers. No, we grieved it, but I got to tell you, it's not all bad. How many understand? You don't have to take a vote on where you're eating, you know what I mean? You don't have to have this big family discussion. And I liked some of those. Some of those weren't as great as others, but some of them were wonderful. We enjoyed family devotions and that. But, you know, now that Robin and I are together alone, it's not so bad. And I remember how great it was when we first came together. And it's kind of renewed some of that. You know, it's renewed that. I mean, we've gotten old. She hasn't. I've gotten older and time has gone on. But it just renews that. You've got this sense of youthfulness again. We can do what we want to do. Well, you know, it wasn't always. I mean, you understand what I mean by that. But I want to tell you, God wants that time with you and him. He doesn't want you and him and all your business. Are you and him and all your activities? 
When I say you, that means me as well. Sometimes it's Lord. And we're going to talk about this in other discipline. It's the uh, romantic side of a relationship with God. We're not going to talk about it today. But when you think about prayer, there were 120 some in the upper room. And then there were those who were part of the larger crowd who weren't in that upper room. How many here say, I want to be an upper room saint? I want to go the distance, you know. I've walked with Jesus. Now I want to see this promise. I want, to, I want to be there when it happens. You know, I want to be in the midst of what God is doing. Come on, church. I, I, God, I'm hungry. I want to be in the midst. We're going to talk about prayer, by the way, next week. See, I can take these things out for a while. I taught this, but I figured you forgot part of it or maybe all of it. But that's um, not an insult. But E.M. Bounds said, uh, prayers outlive the lives of those who utter them. Your prayers are going to outlive this generation. Your prayers are going to outlive this age. They're going to outlive this world. Your prayers are going to cover your grandchildren and your great-grandchildren. You are setting something up. When you pray and seek God and you say, well, I'll never live to see all this happen. That's the wonderful thing. You just are going to change addresses and God is going to do something here that is supernatural and eternal. God wants you to pray a prayer that believes that he is supernatural and that he is infinite and he's not measured by time or space. Our God is so big. That my prayers are going to cover not only this generation, but the generations to come. I'm already claiming my great-grandkids are going to know Jesus. That they are going to come into this world and they are going to have a prayer covering over them. And God is going to protect and bless and advance his purpose and their will. I'm going to ask Tammy to come. We talk about the dual nature of prayer. There's the personal prayer life. A prayer closet. You know, a prayer closet, people say, what does that mean? Is there some hidden meaning to that? Really, what a prayer closet means that Jesus prayed and he prayed in the wilderness. He prayed in different places. He prayed in boats. Jesus prayed in different venues. So what a prayer closet for you is wherever you get alone with God. It can be in your car. It can be in your closet. Honestly, you know, we've, we, this house we live in, we actually got a closet that you can actually walk into. Never had one. I always got a walk-in closet. And I always wondered what it was like to walk in a closet. Got a walk-in closet, and I go in there, shut that door, pitch black. I got to tell you, I love it. I love it. No one there, no windows. There is air conditioning. I'll tell you, it's the coolest room in the house. You can be sweating everywhere else, but for some reason in that, in that closet, the air is just piping out. So somebody must have spent a lot of time in that closet or planned to when they build it. But I want to say, uh, being alone with God, being jealous and protective of that time. John Wesley's mother is said to have sat in a chair and thrown an apron over her head as a sign to her kids to leave her alone. It's like, try it. I mean, I don't, it might work for you. You put a, a blanket over your head or an apron over your head as a sign to her kids to, to leave her alone. Jesus went to a secluded hillside. 
You know, do people know in your, those close to you that prayer is a priority in your life? It's not like we're trumpeting, look at me, I'm going I'm you know, to pray, I want everybody to see. That's not it. But you're not ashamed to let people know that you're a person of prayer. Your family needs to know that. They say, hey, you know, dad or grandpa, man, they're, 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 they're in their prayer place. You know, it's good for them to see and to know that you have one. It doesn't matter where it's at, but they just know, hey, they prioritize and they set time aside to be with God. You know, I shared this last time. What goes into the prayer closet comes forth with a greater anointing, a greater love, greater power, greater hunger for God, greater insight, greater devotion. What walks into the prayer prayer cloud, you might have one of those, walks into the prayer closet, proud and arrogant, comes out humble and broken. I don't know about you, I've gone into the prayer closet with pride. My heavenly father loves me so much, he wouldn't let me leave that prayer closet with that disposition. I came out humble, broken, but not dysfunctionally broken, broken so that my heart could be put together by him. What goes in weary emerges renewed. What goes in defeated comes out victorious. What goes in indifferent comes out broken. Whatever goes in confused comes out with clarity of mind. Whatever goes in as a victim comes out as a champion. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, if you would. You know, it's been almost 120 years since the revival at uh, Azusa Street in Los Angeles broke out. Start with only a few hundred people who could fit into the Azusa Street mission. But as a result of that prayer time, The whole world has been influenced by a Holy Spirit manifested gospel. I wanted to read this to you. This is about partly about the corporate aspect of prayer, coming together. You know, we pray together, we love each other better. We forgive better, right? We share a common vision, a common heart, a common goal. You know, one of the leaders who was involved in the Azusa Street, as you know, was William J. Seymour. And he was an uneducated preacher who grew up in poverty as the son of former slaves. Before entering the ministry, Seymour was a railroad porter and a waiter at several restaurants. Smallpox left him blind in one eye. This is how eyewitnesses described what took place at Azusa Street. Let me just begin by saying, God launched probably the greatest next chapter release of the Holy Spirit into this world at Azusa as a result of what happened. And you know, none of it had to do, very little is said about Seymour's preaching. 
His preaching wasn't the secret to what happened there. It wasn't because he was a great orator. In fact, some uh, believe he was probably pretty average at best. Here's how a newspaper describes his role. Their preacher, Seymour, he stays on his knees much of the time with his head hidden between the wooden milk crates. He doesn't talk very much, but at times he can be heard shouting, repent. And it says, and he's supposed to be running this thing. The Bible says in Acts 4.31, when they had prayed, they, the corporate aspects of this, when they had prayed, when you have prayed, when we have prayed, the place where they had gathered was shaken. I'm sorry, I don't believe the day of Pentecost is over yet. Come on, church. You say, well, I'm a hybrid. I believe uh, this, but I don't believe that. Let me tell you something, Uh, you know, You need to believe the whole thing, not the parts that make sense to you. Because if you only believe the parts that make sense to you, you're never going to experience the supernatural nature of God. You're never going to see the healings. You're not going to see the manifest presence of God as he chooses to do. It says, when they prayed, the place where they had gathered together was shaken And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak the word of God with boldness. I really, this is a, I know, I'm sorry to have you stand. You think, well, once he had me stand, I'm going to wrap this up. But it's something God dropped on my heart this morning. In, the, in our society, when we talk about athletic teams, work teams, teams in the church, outside of the church, uh, we tend to pamper the car as far as believers. I, I hone this down from the world. Like you get, you get at, at baseball teams, football teams, all these, you get all these great athletes who turn out to be prima donnas. They all are just all about themselves. They are skilled. They are eccentric. They are excellent in, in their abilities, but they never work together to produce much. And I break that down to we as the church. We tend to pamper the carnality, the carnal side of believers rather than calling for repentance. How many believe God wants us to repent carnal, carnal living right out of office? We're worried about who we're voting in and who we're voting out. Well, I'm going to say God is saying to the church, let's repent out of office, the carnal side. We look at people and we say, well, their intelligence, their giftedness, their uniqueness, their creativity, that's what makes it difficult for others to work with them. I, you know, I'm going to say something. I can't wait to say this. Uh, I have one word. It's a compound word to use. And I think it's a, it is in my, my way I put it. It's a compound word for the lame excuses for why people can't work and serve together in kingdom work and ministry. And, you know, I'm going to characterize the pampering of the carnal side of believers. It's not because they're unique or gifted or, you know, they're just so much this, that, and the other. It's because of immaturity and pride. 
has absolutely nothing to do with how great they are, how well they do. It has nothing to do with that. Because you know what? The Holy Spirit never bows at the altar of our eccentricity or our giftedness or our abilities. He brings us to his altar. He doesn't accommodate that, you see. And so when we're in church work, you understand this. This is really important. How would I characterize the statement that people are just simply hard to work with because they're so great at what they do? They're so gifted. They're so this. They're so much that. I'm going to tell you, here's what my response to that is. Hogwash. Hogwash. That is a bunch of baloney because God transforms the heart, right? He changes us. He refines us. He renews us. Come on, church. How many say my giftedness is not enough to get this done? God wants others to work with me, to serve with me because the Holy Spirit is just doing such an incredible internal work that the goodness is just oozing out. The goodness of God. As we close today, this, you know, I, you gotta, whatever you have, Tammy, but today as we have come here, we talked about that first discipline, the discipline of prayer, private prayer, corporate prayer. Protect that time with God, that alone time. The way you would is if, is if, you know, you had to say, hey, everybody needs to step back. And find people of faith to make agreement with. That we can be united in prayer together with and ignited by the Holy Spirit to be the team that God purposes for us to be. To do what he has said before us. As I close here today, I'm gonna to say, Tina, if you're watching, I love having you around. You heard that, right? Any help, but I wanna say this, but I, want, I love that alone time. I want that with God and I wanna to come together with others of faith. If you're here in this house today and you say, God, I, I want to be serious. I want to run like a champion. I don't want to just, uh, I don't want to have just a participation certificate. I want to run like a champion. I want to win this thing. I'm not just doing this stuff to go through the motions. I don't want to be an elite world-class shadow boxer. I want to be the best that I can be in Christ. I want to serve with excellence. I want to be a world changer. I, I lay my heart down, Lord God, before you in prayer because I know that prayer is the foundation for any godly ambition. Lord, anything that you will do in my life and through my life will be built upon the foundation of your word and in prayer. So mighty is the church that prays. Mighty is the believer who prays. A world-shaking church is a world is a prayer shaking church. How many here did I say, God, I, I need to really revisit this whole thing of prayer? It's not a bondage, it's not a have-to, it's not something I check off my list every day to say, well, I got that in. 
It's precious, it's sweet. It's life-changing for us and for others around us. Lord God, it advances your purpose. It glorifies your name. It releases the Holy Spirit to do the incredible and supernatural work that goes far beyond my abilities, my understanding, my knowledge, my uh, uh, resolution. How many say, God, I, I, I do pray, but I, I want to have a passionate prayer life. I want to have a prayer life that's so inviting to the Holy Spirit that God is engaging me and he's pouring out into my life what he never could release into my life before because my prayer life, dispassionate, and it was a routine if it exists. Lord, I want this to be about you. Holy Spirit, fall fresh. Come on, how many will ask for this with me? Holy Spirit, fall fresh. Lord, let me come to the altar of God. Let me, Lord God, not ask you to come to the altar of self. But let me come to the altar of God, which burns up selfish ambition and pride and arrogance and contempt. Lord, I praise your holy name today. You are the king of glory. You are the king of glory. There is no other king. There is no other Lord. Come on, let's tell him a minute here. There is no other king. No one else like you. No one else like you. No one exalted as you are. You are the king of glory. You are the one before whom every knee should bow and every tongue confess your lordship. Hallelujah. Release into this house. Lord God, there are some who come for the preaching, some who come for the singing. And then Lord God, you said, I want all of you to come for a supernatural encounter with me to have your life changed so that you can be an agent of change in the world. How many filled with the Holy Spirit here today? Filled and full, filled and full, filled and full, filled and full. Come on, church. We want to be filled and full, overflowing, overflowing. Come on, invite that into your life. Overflowing, filled and full. He's here. He's here. The Holy Spirit is in this house. He is here. Lord, we welcome you. We embrace you today. Lord, these altars, uh, the altar, Lord God, of our heart, we, we lay before you, God, receive. Oh, we receive healing in this house. Come on, let's say it. We receive the healing that we've been awaiting for, seeking God and trusting Him for. We thank you, Lord. We thank you, Lord God. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Come on, church. Oh, God, this is the crazy time for some. What's happening? It's, you know, God is at work. After they had prayed, the place where they had assembled was shaken. Hallelujah. Shake this house. Shake this house. Shake me, Lord God. Shake us up. Let only that remain which is of you. Shake it, Lord God. Shake me up, Lord, that the only thing that will remain is you. The only thing that remains is glorifying to you. Shake it loose, Lord God. I invite you to shake this ground. Hallelujah. Glory on my sheep. Hallelujah, glory on my shantala la bossutura. Come on, hallelujah, hallelujah. There's a spirit here that is greater than fear, it's the spirit of the living God. Come on, church. Woo! 
let's take that. Receive it today. Breathe upon this house, oh God. Breathe upon your church. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Glory, glory. Thank you for listening. You can find us online at BethelAG.com or on Facebook at Bethel Assembly of God, Littlestown, Pennsylvania. Our services are also live streamed every Sunday on our YouTube channel, Bethel AG, Littlestown, Pennsylvania.